Welcome to Truth Matters Church, contending for the faith one verse at a time. After three months in our mini-series study of Daniel's visions and prophecies, we're closing in on the conclusion of Daniel and the beginning of our expository study in Revelation. Today we hear part one of Daniel's 70th week, the final seven-year period on earth where most of the events in Revelation occur. Since the first 69 weeks of this prophecy have already been completed, when does the final 70th week of years begin and end? Answering this question greatly helps us understand the events outlined in the book of Revelation. We encourage you to download the handout for this message at truthmatterschurch.org resources. Here is Pastor Alex Cataroja. Okay, we will be continuing our mini-series into Daniel's visions, and we are studying the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. And we are in Daniel chapter 9. Just a brief reminder of the context of Daniel 9 before we get into the heart of our passage. And Daniel 9 was written in the first year of Darius the Mede. So this was the first year that the Medes and Persian Empire began. And that dates it around 536 B.C., And as you recall, all of Israel was under Babylonian rule from about 606 B.C. to 536 B.C. And thus, they were under Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And what was happening in Daniel 9 is it says that Daniel was reading the books. And we know minimally it included the book of Jeremiah, uh, but probably also included the book of Isaiah. Well, Daniel was reading the books, and let's say Jeremiah, and he saw the pronouncement that Jeremiah made to, you know, to the people of Israel for their rebellion and was reading the 70-year judgment pronounced to Israel in that passage. And what Daniel came to realize was, all right, Lord, your people, because of sin and rebellion, will be under Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Well, this is the first year that that Babylonian captivity or under Babylonian rule ended. And Daniel recognizes, okay, the 70 years are done. Now, in the context, he's like, all right, Lord, act. What's next? And he appeals to the goodness of God. So what Daniel does is he made prayer and supplication with fasting on behalf of all Israel. And what was happening was, as he was offering his prayer and supplication on behalf of all Israel, then Gabriel came, the angel Gabriel, around the time, it says, of the evening sacrifice, so about 3 or 4 p.m. And it is in this context, in response to Daniel's petition, that the angel Gabriel gave Daniel the vision and prophecy of what we know as the 70 weeks prophecy. And we covered the significance of 70, and I mentioned it, in past studies, there were 70 Sabbaths that were violated by the people of Israel. The, you know, for example, you know, every six years they were to toil the land, and on the seventh year they were to give the land rest, for it, is a, you know, it was to be a Sabbath year of rest for the land. Well, the people of Israel weren't observing the Sabbaths as prescribed in the Old Testament, and it came out to 70 Sabbaths. 
So the significance of 70 is saying, okay, you did not, for 70 years, you have not given the land rest as I have commanded you to do. So as a result of that, you're going to be in 70 years captivity, in, in this case, under Babylonian captivity. And then from there, you know, God continued with this theme of 70. 70 is a very significant number, as we will see when it comes to the 70-week prophecy. And Daniel 9, for the most part, it can be broken up into two parts. You know, Daniel's petition, as I mentioned, and we fully covered that in our last study. And then uh, the other half, you know, verses 20 through 27, Gabriel's response to Daniel's petition, and we covered through verse 24. What I'd like for us to do now is to reacclimate ourselves with the entire 70-week prophecy given to Daniel. So let's read verses 24 through 27 and begin to unpack this marvelous prophecy. So picking up in verse 24, here Gabriel is responding to Daniel and now giving him the prophecy. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. And just a reminder, we covered this last time, but just as a reminder for this 70 weeks prophecy, the 70 weeks is the Shabim Shabua. And Shabim is 70 in Hebrew. And Shabua is a full seven-day cycle in Hebrew. So a full week is a Shabua in Hebrew. So 70 weeks is 70 sevens or 70 set of sevens. And I know I'm going to start losing some of you, especially when it comes to numbers and, and numeric. But I do want to say this, that the 70 week prophecy of Daniel is a numeric prophecy, so we can't avoid it. But I will try my best to help summarize it so that you can follow along. But just know that 70 weeks is 70 sevens. It's 70 sets of seven years. So it's 70 times seven or 490 years. Why can't God just say 490 years? But that's not how God operates. You know, we have to put our thinking caps on. We need to, you know, his word is intended to be studied, not just necessarily spoon-fed. No, it's intended to be engaged with and studied and This is an example of that. So 70 weeks, the 70 weeks prophecy is 490 years. We get that. So 70, as I mentioned, is a key theme in connection with Israel's punishment and restoration. So God through Jeremiah pronounced the 70-year judgment in Babylonian captivity 
And God through Daniel is now pronouncing a 70 by 7, 70 sets of 7 or 490 years to end their punishment. So let me say that again. God punished them for 70 years for failing to observe 70 Sabbath years. And Daniel is saying, okay, Lord, now that that 70 is up under Babylonian captivity, what's next? Okay, well, before I put an end, God is saying to Daniel, to their punishment, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and for your people Israel. And he's saying, after the 70 weeks of, that was pronounced, then their punishment will come to an end. So, what we just need to kind of take away, take away from here is just know that you know, history is linear. There was, you know, from the time of Adam, whatever year that was, B.C., and then going forward from there. So if you're in Hebrew, you're probably reading from right to left. We're used to reading from left to right. But wherever the timeline starts, that's a starting point. Just know that history continues on. There is evening, there's morning, right? The revolutions happen. This creation is a big clock. The moon you know, takes 30 days for it to revolve the earth. The earth takes 24 hours to do a full revolution. The earth takes approximately you know, 360 days, I'm, you know, depending if you're going lunar or solar. But in order for the earth to make its orbit around the sun, you know, that's a full year, a full revolution. Just know that history is going on and it's going linear. What we just need to understand is from this 70-week prophecy when it was given to Daniel, from, the, from Daniel forward, 490 years have been carved out of that timeline. And of that 490 years, when it is completed, then Israel's punishment will come to an end. And the 70th week prophecy has been satisfied. And now God will restore and rescue them. So all we need to understand is that 490 years in this prophecy is carved out. And I want to say this. It's not necessarily 490 years all at once. And we will see that. It's just 490 years from the point of Daniel until the end of the 70th week that have been carved out from history is contained in this prophecy. And we're going to see, okay, well, where are we in that? Um, Because we know at the end of that, it's going to bring an end of Israel's punishment and it's going to usher in everlasting righteousness. Meaning, once Daniel's 70 week has been completed, then Christ can come. See, we need to get that. We, we, we first of all need to get that. Especially for some of us, when we get to the book of Revelation, we might have some variation on his coming. And that somewhat, and I used to hold this view, but there is kind of this secret coming of Christ. Well, at least as it pertains to the people of Israel, he cannot come until after the 70th week of Daniel is completed because their punishment isn't over yet. So just something to think about is I want to suggest to you that also his coming, not only for his people Israel, but for those of us who are there at his coming, will be taken. Just something to think about is Christ can't come at any moment is what I'm saying because prophecies need to be fulfilled and then Christ can come. And we will see what those prophecies are leading up to our rapture of the church. And we'll get into that as we study 
the book of Revelation. But here, let me kind of summarize, and we've covered this last time, but here's the Katharoha Amplified of verse 24. 490 years have been carved out of history for all Israel and Jerusalem. At the end of those 490 years, Israel's punishment for their sin and rebellion will be completed. Messiah will make full atonement for their sin, usher in Messiah's everlasting kingdom, and there will be an unending state of justice and righteousness. Yahweh has decreed this vision and prophecy with his royal authority and will consecrate the most sacred place. Hopefully that helps open up verse 24. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 25 and it's going to start to get interesting to say the least. Verse 25, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So in verse 25, we're going to look at the phrase from the issuing of a decree because that's important in understanding Daniel's 70-week prophecy. And he says there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we'll look at both of those. So first, let's look at the issuing of a decree. And just so you know, the, the charts here, they're so you know, plain vanilla. Because remember, one of the rules of engagement that I'm holding myself to is I'm not just going to run to a chart and pass it on to you. So I'm really like literally getting kind of like a piece of paper, but I'm doing it through a PowerPoint and just kind of making a timeline and seeing, well, here's what we know so far, and we're going to build from there and seeing where does the scripture take us. But just know from the issuing of the decree, it says, then the 490 year prophecy begins. So there needs to be a decree first. So when Daniel was given this vision, that 70 weeks, that 490 years have been carved out, that clock, or it's not going to be in motion until this decree is given. Then the clock can start. Then the 70 weeks carved out can begin to apply. So it's ahead of Daniel. So there's going to be this starting point of when the wheels will be set in motion, if you will. And um, as I mentioned, that 490 years have been carved out to end Israel's sin, make atonement, and bring in everlasting righteousness or Messiah's kingdom. So in this chart, just look at whatever those 490 years, wherever it falls, once it's done, then Messiah's kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. But the 70th week needs to be completed first. I do want to make an acknowledgement to Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones' book on the chronology of the Old Testament. Just a little backdrop on how I got to this book. And for those of you who've listened to or, or heard our study on Good Wednesday, so this, this, uh, this past Easter for 2021, I went ahead and did a, you know, a special message concerning, I called it Good Wednesday, for a reason, because we're so used to hearing Good Friday and celebrating Good Friday. But in that study, just using the Scripture, and then only at the last moment, then going to external resources, but just staying grounded in the Scripture, proved through the Scripture that Jesus died for three, and and died and was buried for three full days. Three days and three nights. So when Jesus says, just as Jonas was in the the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And you know what? 
I didn't redefine a day. I didn't count part of a day. I said, he said three days and three nights, three full days. In that study, also sticking with the scripture, was able to pinpoint the year that Jesus died. And I'm going to tell you right now, he died on Nisan 14, 80, 30. Using the scripture. Now, as far as where does that correspond to the Julian and Gregorian calendar, I'm not going to get into that. All I know is from a Hebrew calendar, he died that Passover, Nisan 14, AD 30. And there's history that supports that year. There's actually history, written in history books, of the events that happened on AD 30 that corroborates the accounts of the gospel writers. What happened that year when it was darkness in the land for three hours, when there was a great earthquake, it was all verified as happening in AD 30, Nisan 14, AD 30. So the reason why I stumbled upon this book, he came, he came to AD 30. And I was like, well, and I, and I want to have some sort of resource especially when we're studying an, hist- uh, an ancient book like the book of Daniel, because history is not my wheelhouse. So I, I, I am, you know, I am, I need to rely on those who put in the diligence and the work to do a lot of the legwork, and I can take it for what it is, but again, I'm going to stay true to the scripture. So he's been a great help in chronology from creation, you know, in the Old Testament into the early New Testament, you know, at the coming of Christ. So I do want to give an acknowledgement of his scholarly work because when it comes to, you know, understanding kind of the starting point of things and dates, I know there's a lot of resources with different dates and different years, and that's why you can't be dogmatic about whatever it is that is being presented. But at least for him, if he got 80-30 right, I'd say, okay, I'll listen. If he came and he said Christ died in 80-33, I would have just threw the book away. No, just, just, being, just being honest with you. But since he got that, I was like, well, that takes some extra diligence. So then that kind of let me let the guard down a little bit. And as I read his work, I liked the way he went about verifying his dates in history, you know, referring to other historians and scholars and saying, well, here's where they, here's where they landed. But based on this new finding, based on this Egyptian uh, what do you call hieroglyphic that was found? It, it places it on this year. So I really, uh, I really respected his scholarly work. So I want to give acknowledgement to that kind of going forward from here. So now, okay, from the issuing of a decree, verse 25 says, then the wheels will be in motion. And I use those words carefully. The wheels will be in motion. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, just know that from ahead of Daniel... And looking at the Old Testament, let's say Chronicles, Ezra, Haggai, and Nehemiah, that there were four decrees that were given. Some verbal, some written. Let me kind of summarize that for you. So there was the decree from Cyrus, and this is recorded for us in 2 Chronicles 36, verses 22 and 23, and Ezra chapter 1. And that decree was to rebuild the temple. Now here's what's interesting, and there's, there's so much here, and just so you know, because we're finishing up Daniel this year, unless we'll take all of next year to finish Daniel, that wouldn't be a problem. Just know that there's a lot of, his, there's a lot of history that has gone on, that is recorded and can be validated, but just know that Cyrus was prophesied. He was called by name, I want to say about 125 years before he was born. The prophets wrote his name. And 
even said, God said that Cyrus will be my servant and will, you know, God will use him to, in this case, give the decree or edict to rebuild the temple. So that decree was given in 536 BC. There's another decree from Darius I, Histaspis. Um, so what happened was, as they began to rebuild the temple, there's been some contention as far as you know, whether or not they were allowed to do that. So the work in the temple stopped. But then Darius, when he was the king of Persia at that time, he gave a decree to resume building the temple, and that's at around 520 B.C. And if you're taking notes, if you're wondering, when was the second temple construction completed, approximate year? And that would place it at around 516 B.C., And then there was a couple of decrees from this one king. His name is Artaxerxes. And here's where it gets a little confusing and why I appreciated some scholarly work, as I mentioned, like Dr. Nolan Jones. There's a lot of Artaxerxes or Xerxes. It's kind of a title of a Persian king title. So when you see Artaxerxes, which one? And through his work, I really appreciated uh, the extensive legwork that was taken into there. But just know that as far as the two decrees that were given under this Artaxerxes king, the best candidate for that would be Artaxerxes Longiminus. I might say that wrong. L-O-N-G-I-M-A-N-U-S. He is the best candidate fit of the Artaxerxes that gave two decrees. And one was to beautify the temple, and that was around 467 B.C., and you can find that in Ezra 7, verses 11 through 26. But he, but he also gave this, this other decree that says to build Jerusalem and its wall, and that's at around 454 B.C., and that's recorded for us in Nehemiah 2. And, okay, what we're trying to answer is, which decree is the starting point to set the wheels of motion? for this 490 years prophecy that was carved out of history. Just know that people have disagreed about this throughout the millennia. And they also make good arguments as to say, well, it's the first decree, second decree, third decree, or fourth decree, and make their case. Dr. Nolan Jones, he advocates decree number four, Artaxerxes' 20th year to 454 B.C. and Nehemiah 2. He's saying that's the starting point. And that's how he got to AD 30. And I'm giving that weight because through that starting point and landing on AD 30 is, is a very good place to be. But there are other reputable scholars and historians, they make arguments of saying, no, it's the other decree. Let's say it's Cyrus, for example. Uh, he did give the, the command to uh, rebuild Jerusalem and, you know, and the city. He was for that. So the question is, which one is right? And which one are we going to hone in on? What do I always say? What does the Scripture say? So let's go back really quick to verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza in moat, even in times of distress. So from the issuing of a decree, let's go to the original. It's the matzah debar. And it means to speak forth a command. It, here, here's, here's, here's just something I want to say. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a decree that was written down. 
The matzah kabar, it literally means to speak forth a command, and it may or may not result in a written decree, but it is to speak forth a command. And what I'm finding as I'm kind of going through the difference of opinion, none of them went to the original. None of them said, well, here's the Hebrew, and here's where it kind of takes us, and here's what's in play, and here's what isn't, based on the original. They saw decree, and they looked at it in the English, and they focused on decrees, other, other, other mentions in Scripture. But decrees, there's multiple Hebrew words for decrees. And some can be more specific to a letter. Some can refer to just a commander. There's different Hebrew words. But nonetheless, whatever that decree is, it must include these elements. It must include to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It must include the building with plaza and moat. And it must include the element of being built in times of distress. So here are just some kind of important notes or points. And I mentioned this. The 70-week prophecy does not need to be in successive years. Um, and here's, here's just the case in point. It says the prophecy was broken up in three parts. Seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week. That kind of tells you that it doesn't necessarily need to be in successive years. So the 69 weeks are 483 years. It doesn't have to be in 483 consecutive years. There's, and if that was the case, then he could have just said, then there's 60, or I'm sorry, 69 weeks, and then there's one week. The prophecy and the vision as it was given, it was broken in parts. So well, all you need to know is that the point, as I mentioned earlier, the 490 years does not mean it's from year one to year 490, that's it. No, it's 490 years carved out. And it can be theoretically in three different parts if needed. Okay? If you were to ask me, which decree was it? I'd say all of them. They were all instrumental and pivotal to the restoration and rebuilding of the temple in the city of Jerusalem, whether it was oral or whether it was written. So for example, let's just say someone like Dr. Nolan Jones who was advocating for the fourth decree, saying it can't be Cyrus because... Within it, it didn't contain the building. They actually didn't build the plaza and moat to make it a full city. Well, I get that. But he did issue a decree. So I'm not going to dismiss that. And that's at least set the wheels in motion. So now the 70-week prophecy can begin. Doesn't necessarily need to start with Cyrus. Now God can come. He can start at any time. So I don't want to be dismissive of all of any of the decrees. They're all important because they were pivotal they're pivotal to the restoration and rebuilding finally of the second temple in the city of Jerusalem whether it was by oral or written but that said out of the four decrees there was one that did pretty much fit the bill and included all three elements in the prophecy it it included the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem it did include um, to be built again with plaza and moat and following that, it also included, it was, uh, or it was also built in times of distress. So you know where that leads us more naturally? To the fourth decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus. And that's recorded for us in Nehemiah 2. So let me read this passage for you because here was a decree. This was the fourth one that was given and it included all of the elements. And that makes it a very good viable candidate. On Okay, here's when year one of Daniel's 70-week prophecy began. The other three decrees are important, and it set the wheels in motion. But here, this fourth one, actually, the rubber hit the road, and the clock began to start. 
Let's read that. Nehemiah 2, we'll read the first nine verses. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, it doesn't say which Artaxerxes, but I put it in there, Longimenus, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I, had been, uh, now, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. There's one element. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters there's a written decree, be given for me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me a timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple. Now we're getting this, the, the, the material to, for the infrastructure of the city, for the, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because of the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters, his written decree. Then the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. So that was a pass. So Nehemiah found favor under King Artaxerxes Longimenus and caused his favor to be uh, to fall upon Nehemiah. So pretty much whatever Nehemiah asked for, it was granted to him by the king. And what he asked for was to rebuild Jerusalem and to be given the material and the authority with the letters to bring that to completion, and it was granted. But this decree had all four elements, or three elements, from the prophecy. So the starting point of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy is the decree or order issued by Artaxerxes, Magamanus, in his 20th year of reign. And as I mentioned, Dr. Nolan Jones did an excellent job through his extensive historical research. It, it, was, pretty, it was pretty impressive. I mean, I spent at least maybe a couple hours just trying to follow this thing. I'm like, okay, you got me. You know, it, it was very thorough, very, very well put together. And he dated it to 454 BC. So the starting point of a decree that had all three elements was 454 B.C. And that's when the clock can start for the 70 weeks prophecy. And just so you know, we as the body of Christ, though it's not going to be pleasant getting to the end of the 70 weeks, at least as it pertains to the people of Israel, we want that 70 weeks to come to to completion so that Christ can come on earth and establish his kingdom. It's kind of a, a bittersweet. We want the 70 weeks to come and be completed, but we know it's going to be the expense uh, at the punishment of his people Israel for their sin and rebellion. So here I, I went ahead and added to this to the timeline 
of when the starting point of the 490 year prophecy begins. And here you can see I put a little trumpet there to try to help signify this is the decree and this is the fourth decree that began or that was issued at around 454 BC. So that's the starting point. So from there, 490 years from there have been carved out to end Israel's sin, make atonement and bring an everlasting righteousness. And again, after that, 70th week, that 490th year is completed, then Messiah's kingdom can come. So let's go to back, back to verse 25. So you're to know and discern that from the issuing of decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And so you know, let's establish, at least from this point forward, that from the issuing of decree, primarily is on the fourth decree of Artaxerxes in his 20th year, and that is at 454 B.C. So now, are you ready to look at there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks? Okay, now I'm, re- I'm really going to lose some of you here. Unless you're Hebrew. I want to talk about seven. The number seven. The Jews had seven days in a week, right? There are six days of work, and on the seventh day is the Sabbath. As, uh, they had weeks of weeks, seven weeks. In, in fact, one of their festivals, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost as we would know it, it's after seven complete weeks, the 50th day, Pentecost, was a holy day, a holy festival. So the Jews had weeks of days, which is seven days. They had weeks of weeks, which is seven weeks. See, I'm already losing you, huh? Weeks of years, which is seven years, one times seven. And when it comes to weeks of years, when it comes to prophecy, it's, when we say weeks in prophecy, it's years, seven. One, one week is seven years. So in verse 25, when it says seven weeks plus 62 weeks, it's seven plus 62 or 69 um, weeks of years. So if you were to Add those together and take the 69 and multiply it by 7. It's 483 years. Like, I wish the scripture just said that. After, you know, 483 years. But it's prophetic weeks of years. Here's what I want to say, when we, especially when we're going to study the book of Revelation. Don't redefine 7. Please don't. I've read a lot of commentary that will just say something like, oh, it's symbolic, or it means completion. Show me. Where in the Scripture does it say seven means completion? It doesn't. Seven is seven. Now, God chooses a seven-day week. That's a week. You know, and He defined, you know, as far as the Holy Festival of Pentecost, it's seven full weeks, seven complete weeks. On the 50th is a Pentecost. And as we've established, a weeks of years in prophecy is seven. Seven means seven. It just refers to a set of seven. So when we get to the book of Revelation, let's not just be lackadaisical and saying, well, oh, seven means completeness, so it just, it just signifies completeness. Don't do that. There's seven churches, there's seven spirits, there were seven seals, there were seven trumpets, and there were seven bulls. Guess what? There were seven churches, there were seven spirits, there were seven seals, there were seven trumpets, and there were seven bulls. Doesn't mean, oh, this is a complete 
completeness. This is a complete. Well, maybe God completed it. Yeah, through those seven, that was enough for him. Fine, if you're going to say that. But don't just overall, don't just make a blanket statement and just diminish seven. Seven means seven, and it's a set. It's a set of something, whether it's days or weeks or years. And we'll consider that when we get to the book of Revelation. Now, are you ready to go to verse 26? We'll, split, we'll, we'll look at the first half of verse 26. Uh, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after 62 weeks is after the seven weeks. So after 69 total weeks, after 483 years that is carved out in this prophecy, it says Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. We'll look at that, what that means. And in, he makes mention of the people of the prince who is to come. What's that all about? So we'll, we'll look at verse 26a. We'll look at those two things. So Messiah is Mashiach that we covered previously, and it means the anointed one. So Yeshua HaMashiach in Hebrew is Yeshua or Jesus the Christ. Uh, so Messiah or Mashiach, when it, it could pertain to a person or a thing, and when you're calling someone, you know, Messiah or Mashiach, in this case a person, that person is set apart as holy. And as we know, Messiah is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it says Messiah, the prince, prince is Nagid, which refers to a leader, ruler, or a prince. Um, here's, well, here's, you know, I keep saying interesting a lot because I've been going back to the studies. I say interesting. All Daniel is interesting. Um, and especially when you start to get to the original words, it's interesting. So when it says Messiah will be cut off, it says cut off and have nothing. Cut off is karath, and it means to cut down. Here's, um, here's the interesting part. How many of us are familiar with the covenant that God made with Abram or Abraham, where God you know, had Abraham cut the animals into two pieces? That's the karath. And then God appeared as what? A boiling pot as he was in a deep sleep and he walked between the animals. Here's what karath signifies. It is used and it's the making of a covenant. We get, when it says Messiah will be cut off, it's talking about the cutting or the making of a covenant. And it says after that we'll have Nothing, And as we know, God made a covenant with Abraham and cut an animal in two parts and walked through it. So here's, here's what we don't get in just reading in the English, but when you go to the Hebrew, karath is associated with a covenant ceremony. So when you see Messiah will be cut off, it's talking about a covenant ceremony. We didn't get that from the English, but that's what's behind it. And it says, have nothing. Well, it means nothing literally means, first let me talk about that, then I'll ask a question to you guys, so be ready. Ayin, which, which is uh, have nothing, and its root, it means, no, you know, it's to be nothing or not exist. So this Messiah, the Prince, will participate in a covenant ceremony and be gone. Who and what covenant ceremony is this describing? I want to open it up. See it? The cross. Well, what was the covenant ceremony? Yes, which is Passover. Passover. So this is referring to the Passover 
ceremony. Messiah will be cut off as part of a covenant ceremony and have nothing. So let's go back to verse 26 and input that. Then after the 62 weeks, it says the Messiah will be cut off through Passover ceremony and have nothing be taken away from his people. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So at the completion of this 483 years, so remember when I was saying God in this 70-week prophecy carved out 490 years, how you know we're at the 483-year mark is when Messiah the Prince, Yeshua HaMashiach, in this case, let's say Jesus the Christ, participates in a covenant ceremony. So that Passover in AD 30 was the 480-year or 483-year mark of Daniel's prophecy, which means there's only seven years left. Then Israel's punishment will come to an end. But before we get there and talk about that a little more, let's look at the people of the prince who is to come. So in verses 25 and 26, we have Messiah the Prince, Messiah the Nagid, capital P. And in verse 26, we have the people of the prince or the Nagid, the small p. So depending on your translation, I agree with the capitalization in verses 25 and 26 of Messiah the Prince, capital P, referring to Messiah. And in verse 26, the lowercase p for the people of the prince, because one is anointed by God, set apart as a holy king and a holy ruler, and that speaks of Messiah, and the other one is not anointed by God, but nonetheless, he too is a leader or a ruler or a prince. So the people of the prince, if you're taking note, is not Messiah the prince. That's what you just need to get to. Messiah the prince, capital P, is not the people of the prince, little p. The context already defines that for us. Um, And I do want to call out a key time marker for this other prince. That's not the Messiah. Let's look at verse 26a once again. Then after the 62 weeks, which came after the 7, which came after the 69 weeks, okay? The Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So this other prince, this other ruler, this other leader will arrive on the scene after Messiah the Prince, after Messiah's Passover covenantal ceremony. Whoever this, the people of the Prince who is to come is going to come after the true Messiah. After. After the 483-year mark. Sometime after, and I'll, we'll kind of see okay, where it went after. So in that prophetic 70th week, this prince will destroy the city Jerusalem and the sanctuary Kadesh, the sacred place, the holy assembly. Are you ready to look at the next half of verse 26? And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So it's, when it says, and it's end is referring to Jerusalem and the Kadesh, the holy ground, the holy place. And end, as we covered previously, is ketz, and it means to toward the end of something. So the end of Jerusalem's and the sanctuary's destruction will be accompanied with war, desolations, its destruction. So another way to say this is in Daniel's 70th week, it will include the destruction and end of Jerusalem 
and the sanctuary's destruction and the holy ground, and it'll be accompanied with war and its desolations. It'll become desolate. Doesn't that sound, for those of us who've studied Revelation, consistent with the seven seals and its writer? And here's the truth from all this. After the 69-week and during the 70th week prophecy, a prince, a king, will arise, wage war, and destroy Jerusalem along with its sanctuary, holy place, holy ground, holy assembly. So that's kind of one telltale time. If a king arrives on the scene that will wage war and destroy Jerusalem and its sanctuary, holy place, holy ground, holy assembly, then you're a good candidate for being the king described here and a good indication that we are in the 70th week of Daniel. Thank you for listening today to the Truth Matters Church podcast. Quite an intense study today, but you don't want to miss the conclusion of this message, part two of Daniel's 70th week prophecy, as Pastor Alex wraps up our mini expository study in Daniel and prepares us for a deep dive into the book of Revelation. If you haven't already, be sure to mark us as a favorite or subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. And connect with us at truthmatterschurch.org. Again, truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.